Hi, getting in touch about your request for people sharing their story. My mum and I are doing a massive walk and decided to fundraise for Mikey's Line as we go. The walk came as an idea to benefit our mental health as I, Neve, aged 16, quite openly have issues with my own anxiety, panic attacks and depression. I lost a close friend to suicide when we were both 13 and it's his memory I'm walking for. He was bullied at school and online and as his friend and a part of his friend group, three years later, we are still struggling to come to terms with his death. I have no problems in discussing any of the above. If you feel it would be helpful to the podcast and others, best wishes, Neve Heron. And that email is the reason I'm now sitting here with Neve and her mum, Joanne, for this episode of Speaking of Suicide. I'll be giving out the Mikey's Line number a bit later if the content of our conversation inspires you to reach for some support. And don't forget, you can always press pause if listening to this is too difficult. Neve, let me turn to you first of all. Thank you so much for getting in touch. And I'll tell you why. Because actually having someone of your age open up and talk to us, um, you're something of a rare find. I have to say. So I really am pleased to be able to be here to to have a chat with you. Can we start by talking a bit about the friend that you lost to suicide? Because I suppose that underpins a lot of this. There's a lot of stuff to unpick in your email, but I think that's probably where we need to start. Take Take me back those three years and tell me a little bit about him as a friend, as a person. It was just out of lockdown, but he was like the smiley one that everyone would go to for a laugh. Like, you could all just sit down and he'd straight away, you could be in a funk, and he'd just make you laugh. He was such a wonderful person, but throughout lockdown he kept everyone so happy and cheery. He was the one, like, we had our Teams channel. We never really messaged or anything, but we always had our, like, FaceTimes on Teams. Um... And he was constantly uploading, like, oh, guess what I made? And it would always be, like, banana bread. It was his thing. His thing. He was always doing it. But that, and then when we went back to school, we, we'd we been in the same classes from S1. So this was an S3. Um, S2, actually. S2, sorry. Um, and we always used to... We had a shared love for Star Wars. So we always used to geek out and compare comments about the new um, TV series and films and who our favourite characters were. But he was always a very approachable person and always strived to make you cheery and just be happy, really. So tell me about when he took his life and the, the circumstances of that. It was haunting in a way. It was really hard to come to terms with, still coming to terms with. But it felt so surreal. Like, you never, you hear about these things and how awful it is, but you never think about if it were to happen to someone you knew, how close you were, or how to help people around you after it, or how to help them. No one had any idea what he was going through. And we didn't... No, we just, they called the assembly. We missed the assembly, so they came up to our class and they told us. And the way the teachers worded it, you can see in their faces, they're still in shock. Like, because you're such a close community within classes that you don't think 
about what someone could be going through. But we all know that he was bullied and the school were good, but they just, I don't think it reached him as much as it could have. But um, he um, was admitted to the hospital um, Friday and then on the Monday we were informed that he wasn't going to make it. It was the wording was basically he's not going to survive. But the way they word it is people didn't understand because you're still trying to come to terms with he's not been in school. But then it's when they say that and you're like, this is what what's what happened. None of us knew anything at that point. Not even the teachers or police and that they knew almost nothing. And then we got an assembly first thing on the Tuesday morning to say he'd passed. And the following Friday was his funeral. But it's, everyone was, it was just the mood throughout the whole school. It was so, as it would be, sombre. Like, everyone was just there, almost. Like, no one really knew how to go at it and how to try reach for help. But then everyone started... They did something, like, our class got a lot of support from the school afterwards. They used to give us sessions where we could go and talk or we could just sit and be with each other. And we're still really close now because that's kind of drawn us together and made us ask for help. And if people need help, help them. Like, strive to make and improve, improve things for everyone. Now, when, you know, from my experience and from talking to a lot of people for the podcast... It's clear that when we lose someone really close to suicide, it, it it sort of seems different to other grief. It raises questions that, that I guess losing someone through other circumstances doesn't. And I wondered the kind of questions or the kind of um, things that, that went through your mind when you, when you heard that he'd taken his own life. You begin to question everything. You question, is there something I could have done? Were there signs that I missed? Was there something that he reached, he tried to reach out for help once and he just stopped because he didn't think that he could or people would laugh or people would make fun or he just simply thought that people would think he was crazy. That's not the matter. He just didn't... It's very odd to have it happen, but... um... (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. I can pause. Joanne, let me mm. let me give Neve a, a pause there and bring you in. How did you hear about the news? Um, I was at work. I was in a meeting, and she, like, she kept phoning and phoning and phoning, and she said, "Okay, I need to step out. Something, you know, this is more than I haven't got any money for lunch," and she could barely get the words out and. Because I think because we've been hit by lockdown and their fringe groups change over the course of a few months, his was a name that come up quite a few times. And I, I, I hadn't actually met him, but I knew you feel like you know people well and they're talked about a lot. And at that point, all the, the kids have been told was there'd been an accident. And so there was all this speculation about what happened and... You know, his best friend is one of Neve's good friends, and you think, well, he knew nothing, and there was it was just confusion for about twenty four hours, and then 
like anything in a small community, which really is what the school is, the truth will always come out. And the teachers, I think the next day, you know, Neve said that, you know, before they were even told that he'd gone, that the teachers were openly stood in the corridors crying. And, you know, you know, you know there's something more. Well, I think when it affects you as a parent, because you just look at your kids, you think, could have been one of mine. And I think that's what affected the school. The, the children weren't the only ones grieving. The staff were grieving. And they were trying to work out a way through for themselves. And how do you deal with the children en masse? They're all, they've all got different emotional issues. Neve has had issues which she's quite open about with bullying at school. Um, and it was the same group, I think, that was involved uh, with what happened to him. Neve has an amazing guidance teacher. I jumped on it and I'd gone to the school and the school had been really supportive. And so for whatever reason, that support had been missing for him or he felt it wasn't enough. Or I don't even, we don't even know really, did he not reach out? What was the trigger? Some something was a trigger that made him take that step. Neve, let's come back to you. Um, now I have a daughter who's a very similar age to you, and so I'm I'm well aware as a parent how difficult it can be for her to speak out. But from your point of view, why why do you think? Um, what are the things that stop? Um, people your age from being able to talk about their feelings, what they're going through. What are the the barriers that are there, do you think? They're scared. Scared of what? Judgment. People, and especially you're adjusting to high school and that kind of atmosphere anyway, but people can be very judgy. They could be going through their own things and you don't know what someone's going through or if they're mean because it's their way of outlooking their behaviour or whatever. But they're scared of the judgment of being told, why would you talk to them about it? Like, we're quite open about sharing feelings. You're upset, go talk to someone. If you need help, ask. I'm here for you. Every step of Do you think that if some people were to ask for help, that they would be concerned that it would increase the level of bullying yeah. and stigmatism that, they, that they've been facing. So that's why... People don't like to ask for help because if you're being bullied and the bully finds out you've been talking about them because you're scared or you're worried or they're really you're getting really affected by them, the bully could increase the amount of bullying they're doing. And that's what scares them is, it. yes, it could get better, but could it get worse if these people find out behind closed doors when there's no teachers, there's no staff members? Um, what could they do to really affect me? Could it just increase the levels and then I'm not going to speak out again because I'm terrified that it'll get worse even again. But it could get better. But I think that's what scares people the most is the bullying increasing in a bullying case. And judgment. Yeah, judgment. A lot of judgment. And I think in your case and his, mm -hmm. there was online bullying. Yeah. It's the keyboard warrior, it's the person that will sling the nastiest slurs. And you see it as an adult, you use Facebook or Instagram or any of those things. And the 
people that say the nastiest, vicious things and wish the worst things on you are people that would never sit and look you in the eye and say the same thing. Not in a million years would they even scratch the surface or give you a tenth of what they'll sling at you when they can put, you know, fingers on a keypad. And I think you, you're of a generation, Eve, where you have, you have your phones, you have your laptops, your iPads. There is 24-7 availability to attack somebody. And, and be anonymous, even. You don't even have to put your name to it. And people... I mean, some of the stuff that, you know, Neve had issues with even... I mean, I know you've, you've been quite open about the fact yeah. that there was an issue with uh, this particular group taking photos of her secretly during class in the corridors and then imposing, you know, outfits over the top or silly faces. Or But it was... It wasn't just, you know, that you see them with the floppy ears and the big tongues hanging out and all that stuff. It was sexualised and it was vicious and it was done in a way to make you... So when, when you're concerned about your own appearance and at this, at this age, everything is about your height, your weight, your, your hair colour, everything. And anything was done in order to sort of lash out. And I think it just shows their own insecurities... I mean, we had the one particular individual who is punching way above six foot, and we've known since primary school. And I did actually... I saw the effect on her one morning, taking her to school, and as we pulled into the car park, her whole body shook, head to toe, and she was almost hyperventilating, and that I snapped. And I parked the car, and she sat there, and she said, no, please don't, please don't, please don't, please don't. And as a mother, I just saw red. And this person was stood watching and waiting for her, assuming she would get out of the car and she was just cannon fodder. That were they going to get their morning fix of pick, pick, pick. And I went straight into the heart of them. And my younger daughter still says, that was so cool, Mum. But I, there was no way, and this person never went near her again. And I think it took the human interaction, potentially, of me saying, don't you dare. Um, and they stayed away, but he wasn't so lucky. Others haven't been so lucky. And you can't always be there. No. And, and, and as parents, we can't always be there. Yeah. If you're able to, Neve, I'm really interested in hearing how this kind of online and, and at-school bullying... How it feels, how it's impacted on you. It's awful. Like, you see so many different sides to people. Someone could be acting really nice and friends and that in class, and then as soon as no one else is watching, they turn on you, and you're there and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what happened? Ten minutes ago we were laughing at a joke, and now you're sat here taking photos of me and bullying me and posting them and trying to get other people to effectively gang up on you. That's what that was, was... It was that one particular morning his mum was just describing was I'd pull up in the car and they'd look and they'd see me through the windows and they'd start their sniggering and making their way over to where we'd park and they would wait for me and they would follow me into the school and it's so intimidating, especially because there were, there were so many of them. There was pack there was about 20 of them and if I was sat on my own in the library or at lunch, they would come and they would sit around me and they would just sit there and they would stare at me if I was eating, if I was reading a book, whatever I was doing, they would just stare. 
and that was more intimidating than the words because the words you just learn to be like not listening to you I don't care not having it but it's when they sit there and they stare and you make it makes you feel all twisted and you start being really self-conscious about everything you do but I think it's learned made me learn to be more grateful and help others a lot more if they need help or if they seem off just ask them if they're okay if they need help help them give them as much support as you can especially towards friends and even just people in the hallway if you see someone looks upset go up to them and ask you okay um so anything i can do to help yet yeah, just having a bad day or if you need someone to talk let me know i'm always here and just letting people know that you're always there because you know how hard it is if you've not had someone when you've needed them when a bullying is going on i've always had like mom and dad and my sister um and a good friend group that's interesting for you do you think the key to having real support when you're being faced by bullying is having someone else reach out and say, actually, I'm on your side? Is, is, is that what you need? I think that helps a lot. Like, learning for you to ask for help takes a lot of courage as well. But it's always good. But it's when someone else recognises it and you don't... It makes you feel more effectively justified because you're like, okay, no, someone else has seen this. This is wrong. I do actually need to ask for help. And I think that if someone were to turn to you and go, that's not right, are you okay, do you need help? That's the last thing that would take for you to push and ask for help because everyone's seeing it. They're seeing how much of an effect it's having and you feel better about going and asking for help. How much has that kind of um, bullying impacted your life away from, from school as well? What are the kind of ripple effects of of that kind of feeling you're being judged, feeling you're being teased? It's taken a lot. I'm still not 100% there, but it's taken a lot to regain my confidence and to... No, it's okay to wear that shirt with those top... (laughs) That shirt with those jeans. Like, when you're sat there and you're wearing something, you feel good in it, and then they start picking at it, you're like, well, there's nothing wrong with it, is it? And then you start rethinking it, and then it got to a stage where just joggers and hoodies with be everything I wore because I, I couldn't wear anything else because I felt so self-conscious because of them but the ripple effect was kind of self-confidence a lot of it and learning to be like no leave me alone like to stand up for yourself was a massive thing I've learned to kind of just be no leave me alone don't pick on me it's not good it's not big and it's not funny it's not clever I want to come back to discover more about how you regained that, that confidence because I think it's absolutely key um, and, and really interesting. But let's, let's stick for a little bit about some of the background to, to all of this. How, how big an influence do you think lockdown was for you and, and your friends? Because um, if my calculations are right, you would have probably been going S1 to S2 when the first lockdown happened and then we all got locked down again, sort of probably partway through your S2 year. Um, so how how big an effect do you think that whole period had on how people behaved with each other and how you were feeling? Massive. In what ways? We're, like, we're halfway through our S1 year. Um, so we've missed out on all the things like the activity weeks, all the things that are supposed to bind you as a year group. But it was more lockdown that... I think bonded us all together was because we all realised, no, we're all in this together. We have to be a group to 
help each other and get through this and make things better for ourselves. Um, but the ripple effect is still going on. Like There's so many things within the school system that have changed since lockdown, the amount of things that we've missed. But friend groups was a massive one in lockdown. I've, I was a part of a group that I went to primary school with and then got big, too big for their boots, really. And they decided to ditch everyone and go off with their own. So I've kind of, you've had to rebuild your own friend group, but then the lockdown hit and you had no contact with almost anyone apart from teams. That's pretty much all the contact I had with most of my friends or socials, but even then not many people were using them. I think they got bigger throughout lockdown, but it was hard to see your friends drift away from you and then come back and keep doing that. So it's been like that for a few years, but it's like finding the solid friends and the ones that you know you can talk to and just finding the good ones, really. Friendships are really important. Yeah, massive. They're a part of... Most of me is shaped by my friends. The fact that I know I can talk to them and they can talk to me and we can help each other. I like having a friendship where the communication goes both ways. You don't have to feel pressured into messaging first or likewise. You just... You just... You both meet up and straight away, you're, it's like you never like left each other you're just getting on having a laugh the most important thing i think is communication with friendship communication and honesty is more massive ones so it sounds to me like that your peers not all of them friends Mm -hmm. sound key in in impacting you know how you're feeling how you're feeling whether it's feeling bullied whether it's feeling supported whether it's feeling confident um and and also in providing you with the kind of friendship sustenance and all that kind of thing Joanne, I know, because I'm a mum of a teen of a very similar age, um, mm. my daughter's a very similar age, I find it really tough to stand outside of this and watch the impact yeah. of my daughter's it's friend exhausting. groups. It is exhausting. How do you deal with it? Help me. <laughs> <laughs> we, we talk, we talk, we have... I'm very, very proud of the relationship that Neve and I have um it's a daily effort you know we we have constant conversation um you know to drive home the point the door is never shut it doesn't matter whether I want to hear it or not you must come and talk to me and I you know we've all grown up we know there are times there are things you think you don't want to share with your parents but the dialogue has to be there and we have had difficult conversations where she's come in and she said, don't really know if I want to tell you this. It doesn't matter. It Just talk to us. Um, but you watch. I mean, you can, you can see how she can leave the room happy as anything, up there hitting a 10. And then 20 minutes later, come in and you're like, what happened? She's not even left the house. And it, it can be something as simple as, Somebody sent a message, you know, or this, this, I always call it flap chat, but it's what it's called Snapchat, Snapchat. isn't it? And, and because it sends them off into a complete state. Oh, they've left me unread. They've seen it. They've not, they've not answered. And you're like, oh, really? Come on. But you forget this generation is so driven by social media. We never had anything like that. Thank God. It was hard enough when, you know, you had one phone in the house and you had to queue to use it and 
No conversation was private because your mum was always listening. I mean, now they can disappear off to their bedrooms and can be having all sorts of conversations and FaceTimes and, and anybody in the world can reach them. You know, we, we, like, we police, you know, both the kids with, especially, you know, when they were younger, if somebody contacts you online, you don't know them, tell us. You know, when they start asking questions, people are not always seven, eight, nine-year-old kids who want to be your friend. They could be someone else. And you live in fear as a parent constantly. You know, even our kids don't play on the street. When I grew up, we were kicked out. We stayed outside until the streetlights came on. Then we came in. We only came in for food. It, it, it was that. And, at home, you know, we were never in. Now, my children, I wouldn't let them play on the street I'm too scared to but the threat to kids now is not just on the street the bigger threat is what else is out there and who else can reach them and you go from total strangers sometimes trying to get to them to people they do know and can put a face to saying things but then you start you know as Neve said she she was at a point with her bullying where she was literally only wearing one or two hoodies and a pair of joggers because that was her her armour, for want of a better word, and was too scared. We, and now she wears colours, and, and that is a good sign that we've turned corners, we've changed. But all it takes is one dour comment or one snip from somebody that she might hold in some sort of esteem. You know, it wasn't necessarily, you know, one of the cool kids. But all it takes is somebody making... They might just be having a bad day and they're lashing out. But that can take her from getting ready to going out to... Forget, oh, forget it. I'm, I'm just going to stay in. And a whole weekend of plans has been shelved because her confidence is so bad she won't step out the front door. It's disabling. Me and your mum are going to have very set views on social media because mm. I think we come from a... Very similar generation, very similar background. Mm -hmm. I also got kicked out for most of the day mm -hmm. to go and play um, and fell out of trees and got myself into all kinds of trouble. Yeah. But, you know, we now look back on it with nostalgia and fondness. It's character building. <laughs> Social media, though, is your world. We're looking at it thinking, but we didn't have it like that. But it is your world. And so it's all very well for us to stand here and, and judge and comment and say, it wasn't like that in our day. I'm interested in how you view social media, Neve, and what you see as being the challenges, but also the benefits of, of a life online. Because I know it's not all the negative stuff that us paranoid parents like to throw at you. I think it's some of it's a way of expressing yourself. Like TikTok, you can make your funny videos and your lip sync videos and everyone has a bit of a laugh. But at the same time, you've seen them go from like, it was originally, what was it, Musical.ly? Went into TikTok and that's when it all kind of changed. Was That was, I think, everyone's go-to. Especially when you're younger, it's just making lip sync videos and funny videos with your friends. You like it, you put in the silly dog ears on yourself. And um, you, you liked it like that, but then everyone started putting their views. It's not their views aren't... A, and their opinions aren't important. It's just they're pushing it onto it, and then 
the apps are just kind of, that's not what they were built for. They were built to have a bit of a laugh and make some funny videos and p pictures. But as much as social media is a benefit for communication, talking with your friends, especially if they're long distant, like getting that time to be like, oh, you got 10 minutes to have a FaceTime, I haven't seen you in ages. Or having a chat and reaching out to people that you haven't seen. Like someone may pop up and go, oh, I haven't seen you in ages, can I give you a quick ring? And it's good to be able to do that because you can't exactly do that in person. But it's also, it can be quite negative because people start pushing their views and things. And it's not that you don't disagree with them. It's just that they're simply doing it to get a reaction. And social media I like, but sometimes you just need to put your phone away and have a day without it. Just switch your phone off and chill in your room, read a book. Just have that time away from it to, I think to get the real balance, you need to have the time away from it as well as much on it. Um, so you're keeping up with everything, but you just have that time to take your break and chill. I was going to ask how you, how you managed stepping away from it, but interestingly, you just switch off. Yeah, switch my phone off and read a book or chill in my room tidy, just anything, just Sometimes I'll even give my phone to mum and just go, I just need a couple hours without social media, without anyone. That's a cracking idea. I like it. I put it on my, th I put it on dad's yeah. desk and I'll put my speaker on. So I've got my music, but I've got none of the socials. And it's an amazing way just to switch off. You've still got the background, like the music, but you can just chill. You can do a puzzle. You can read a book. You can draw. You can tidy your room. That's what I do. And it's the person that's the best way for me to shut off. Neve, you mentioned in your email that um, you've had issues with anxiety and panic attacks and depression. Where does that go back to? When did that start? I'd say about S1, I think. The first panic attack I had was S1. They, it got really bad before lockdown. And then because the first few weeks in lockdown, when we were told it was only going to be two or three weeks, I think that helped because it gave me mentally... Well, at that point, we didn't know it was going to be months and months, but at that point, mentally, I was able to have a break from the bullying. And then it turned into so much more. But it got really bad to the point I didn't want to go to school. I couldn't step out the house. It was a struggle to get up and get changed in the morning or have a shower, anything. But nowadays, I wake up and it's a part of my routine. And I like it. I like coming and having a bath and doing my nails. But then it was just, it was a chore. I had to do it. But it was a struggle. The panic attacks, I didn't really know what they were at first because I don't think anyone really expressed what that kind of thing did to you. And then a little bit of research and discovering other people, it affected other people. And then you realise, oh my God, it's a panic attack. And then you start learning the coping mechanisms. So there's certain like, kind of like fiddling you can do with your hands to calm you down or your breathing. That's what my mum taught me a lot of, was your breathing or like, you tap in your forehead because it makes you it just it calms you right down but um that happened and I think a lot of the depression came from the bullying the bullying put me in a really dark place and I had a lot of thoughts that it just they weren't good ones to say that um but because my self-confidence I had no self-confidence I wouldn't I struggled to do the basic of tasks and getting up to school, it was like, it took all the energy out of me before I even got to school. And then the lockdown kicked in and I was able to gain a lot of my confidence. 
because I was at home with mum and my dad and my sister and having my family and then the friends that I wanted to talk to or the people that I wanted to talk to if I didn't if they were going to be nasty I could simply block them and that was another benefit of social media was I could just block them I could remove them I didn't have to talk to them if I didn't have to if they were going to send me nasty messages I could just block I can remove I could delete the whole app if I wanted to that was I think a good benefit was the fact that I could shut off from the people that were nasty and that's what helped me regain a lot of confidence but yeah you said you had difficult thoughts are you able to unpack any more of that honestly um only if only if you feel able it's up to you Neve. it's fine um there was one particular day where my dad came home and he was i was sobbing away I'd had a really bad day and the bullying was non-stop. They would wait for me outside my classes and they would walk me to my next classes. They weren't, they were bullying me and pushing me around and just really nasty. But there was one particular day where I got so overwhelmed that I don't think if he'd have come home, many things would be the same now. Because there was a point where I went, do I really need to do this? Do I, could I, there is one, there was one solution that would get me out of all of it out the whole bullying and it's horrible to think about but that's the point that they drove me to was the suicidal thoughts it was the only way that I could think I wasn't in a straight mind but that's the only way I could think of stopping it all and it was awful but then they came home and I sat with them and um, I talked and from there it was okay because I was able to learn that it was okay to reach out for help and it's okay not to be okay I can learn to adapt and to help and then lockdown kicked in and that helped a lot because I was able to shut off from the people thank you for sharing that I know that wasn't very easy but I think it you know to hear that honesty um I'm a big advocate for honesty and I think it really speaks uh, and I'm sure it will be speaking to people who are listening to this. I want to to find out a bit more about how you've managed to, to, to dig deep and find that resilience. But just before I do, I want to say if you're listening to this and it's striking a chord with you, don't forget it is okay not to be okay. And if you need someone to talk to, you can text Mikey's line on 07786 20 77 55 or you can contact them via messenger web chat or twitter and the number for whatsapp is 01463 729 000 and that's sunday to thursday 6 p.m to 10 p.m friday to saturday 7 p.m to 7 a.m or you can go and visit them at the hive 19 academy street in inverness they're open seven days a week from 6 p.m to 10 p.m Neve, it's great to see you sitting here smiling um looking so happy and well um but i am interested in how you found the strength to turn things around um from your perspective how did you manage to to make that shift because it i know it is a difficult thing to make change happen it's not instant it's never instant so how did it happen from your point of view i think a lot of it like mum said was down to lockdown 
the fact that I had some really bad and deep thoughts and I thought that was the only way to help myself. I think that really like drove me to make a change and to strive to help myself and to build my confidence back up was the fact that I could help other people. I, I, I saw from my perspective what it was like to be in that situation and how it felt and it was awful and I never wanted ever, anyone else to feel like that. So I think a lot of it was me striving to help other people, was me helping other people helped me to regain my confidence and the resilience to overcome the bullying and just become a better person and to regain confidence and build who I am. And I think Mum's right, a lot of the bullying, I don't think I'd be the same today if I hadn't been as badly bullied. I don't think I'd appreciate as many friendships and I don't think I'd ask people if they were okay as often or if they needed help or just let people know that I'm there if they need me. If people's having a bad day, I can just go up to them and be like, do you need some help? If not, not right now, but if you need anyone, you know where I am, just give me a shout and I'll help you however I can. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Or if not me, go to guidance or a teacher or someone you trust, a parent. But I think a lot of it was me wanting to help others help myself to regain that. Has a big part of that also been the fact that you um, very sadly lost your friend to suicide, um, you believe connected to, to his being bullied. Has that changed how you then interact with other people, how you try to support other people? What's been the impact of, of losing him to something that you've experienced too? I think you see the small things more. Like, you've seen, if you've been there or you've, you've lost someone and you see it afterwards, you see the little things that were the signs that you should have picked up on. So you pick up on them earlier and you help the people and you give them like the Mikey's line support or you tell them about guidance and all these wonderful places that they can go to in town if they just need somewhere to be and just chill for a couple hours and have a right headspace. But a lot of it, I think, is getting people to ask for help and telling them that it's okay not to be okay. They can ask for help. No one's gonna make fun of them or it's not shameful to ask for help. If you need the help and support, ask. There are so many people out there that are like willing to help. If it helps you, then ask. And what would you say to anyone listening to this who is struggling with that fear of being judged that we talked about? back near the beginning of this conversation, that fear of of the peers around them who are so important to you at this stage in your life. What have you got to say to them? Don't fear being judged. They could be judging you because they may be going, they're asking for help. I could ask for help too. I know that I've been struggling about it. People have a front. It's like you put on your makeup. It's your warrior paint. That's what you describe it as. You put on your mascara. It's because that's what makes you feel good. And people do the same with their personalities. They have this big attitude of, yeah, it's me, I'm the, I'm the best. Like, follow me, I'm top dog. Whereas inside, they could be really struggling. And their way of throwing their attitude out is to bully. But they could see you and they could be bullying you for the fact you're asking for help. But 
in a possible reality. They they need the help and they're just jealous of the fact that you had the confidence to go first and ask for help and they maybe are they see you as this person because they're like, whoa, it is okay to ask for help. Maybe I should ask for help and that I think is a big part of it, especially in high school. Well, I think that recognising that the bully may be struggling themselves, I take my hat off to you for that one because I think um, that's a big leap to make, especially when you've been on the end of bullying. Can I just finally ask Neve, how's the bullying now? There's none. There's this occasional banter with my friends, but it's, it's banter. It's you get on, you have a laugh, there's no bullying. I've had a couple of incidences over the past year, year and a half, of people making sniggery comments, but because I've managed to change my attitude so much and help others, it's kind of driven me just to say, do not stop. It's not big, it's not clever, it's not funny. Take a step back, look at what you're doing and realise it's wrong. And that's helped a lot. You both did your mammoth walk. Yeah, um, still limping. Still limping. <laughs> Maybe for some um, time. In memory of, of your friend, Neve. Um, how far did you actually walk? Just short 100 miles in eight days. Hadrian's Wall, coast to coast. And how much did you raise for Mikey's Night? With gift aid, we currently have just over £1,600. Fantastic. Pleased you did it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Massive achievement. A huge experience. Uh, But, yeah, I'm not sure if I'd repeat it. (laughs) There are easier ways of fundraising, I'm sure. (laughs) It may be better for your mental health than your physical health by the sound. Sounds of yeah, the blisters we, and the aches and pains. We that did, was... by the time we came home, we both said that we had an, an appreciation for the great outdoors that we never really had. We were actually craving fresh air and like the, the, the I would say the mundaneness of getting up, showering, boots, bag on your back and off you go. And that was all we had to do every day was just walk. And it was lovely. But yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> well done. And... Uh, yeah, on behalf of Mikey's line, thank you very much You're indeed. <laughs> um, and thank you for for sharing your story, both of you. It's been lovely to, to meet you and spend time with you. No problem. I was talking to Neve and Joanne Heron. Shana McPherson from Mikey's line is here listening with me. I'm more than a bit blown away by Neve. In particular, I have to say, Shona, what an amazing young woman. Yeah, what an amazing young woman indeed. Absolutely. And there's sort of two, two threads I'd like to um, look at right now. Um, and the, the first is about, about Neve's friend. And um, just struck by how young he was, 13. And what a tragedy. Before saying anything else, just what a tragedy for him, for his family, for his friends. Mm. And from from the interview, the, the, the sort of two risk factors that stood out for me for this young man were, were his experience of being bullied and the difficulty it seemed like he had in asking or accessing help. And I think it's really important to, to state that, that bullying doesn't directly cause suicide. Um, and the research shows that involving involvement in bullying, either as a victim or as a perpetrator or as a witness, 
can definitely raise risk of suicide um, and it can raise um, feelings of hopelessness, poor connectiveness in school, which affects mental health, which increases risk for suicide. Mm. And on the other hand, many youth involved with bullying do not display suicidal behaviour, even although it is a risk factor. And I think it's really important so to neither overstate nor understate um, the, 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 the factor of bullying in um, suicide risk. And the reason I say that is that affects the uh, approach that a school would take and that parents would take in face of bullying. Um, and so it's essential that schools do all they can to reduce the incidence of bullying. And examples of that could be programmes to increase school connectiveness, um, communication skills, bullying prevention, enhancing mental health, finding coping skills, life skills, building resilience, um, that kind of stuff um, will make a big difference in reducing bullying and in reducing um, suicidality. And that takes me to second, my second point about Neve, um, and about her as an example of somebody who kind of seemed to grow in resilience through her experience of bullying. Um, and so I just wanted to quickly note the, the resilience factors that she and her mum talk about. Um, one is her mum and her dad and her sister and her friendship group. Seems that they, um, she's in constant conversation with them and that she speaks about how that being such a, a support to her. Um, another is her ability, her growing ability to ask for help. Her uh, learning to stand up for herself in the face of bullying, growing in confidence to do that. Another one, her relationship with her phone, <laughs> um, being able to, to put it down or find ways to not be as led into it. Her informing herself about panic attacks and mental health and growing in her awareness of those. Her wanting to use her pain to help other people, maybe in a way making meaning of the loss of her friend and her own experience through helping others. And um, her ability to have perspective, even at the end there, seeing um, how she sort of grew in perspective to even see that probably the bullies themselves were having their own struggles. So, I, I, yeah, I guess to, to kind of go full circle, that incredibly sad loss of her friend and for whatever reason, that resiliency wasn't av available to him, not for his fault, not his family's fault. And this massive um, hope and light in, in Neve's ability to speak of her resilience and to show that to us. I think it's incredibly encouraging. Thanks, Shona. Don't forget, it is okay not to be okay. And if you need someone to talk to, you can text Mikey's line on 077862077755 or you can contact them via Messenger, Web Chat or Twitter. And the number for WhatsApp is 01463 729000. You can contact them Sunday to Thursday, 6pm to 10pm, Friday to Saturday, 7pm to 7am. Or you can go and visit them at The Hive, 19 Academy Street, Inverness. They're open seven days a week from 6pm to 10pm. Speaking of Suicide is funded by Mikey's Line and the platform is sponsored by Highland-based family firm D&D Paving Limited. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, do get in touch. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear from you. Speaking of Suicide is produced by Adventurous Audio Limited. Mm -hmm.